as good believers who believe God's Word in its totality is to be used by us and read by us. Um, we can't just spend time in the New Testament. We've got to spend time all over God's Word. And so we're in the Old Testament and going through the book of Deuteronomy. And um, as part of the outline I gave you, um, I've given you some homework. So for next week, please make sure, if you can, that you can read chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 29. That'll prepare you for the passage that Dave will be preaching on, and then he'll take out of there what God puts on his heart. Uh, we're looking at the main themes coming out of this book of Deuteronomy, and so we'll be looking at those from that passage. And then just on the back of that little handout, if you haven't got one yet, there are a few extra copies at the back. I, just, I said I'd make two comments. Um, the first one is, when you look at Deuteronomy and the way it's written, it's written in a very specific way. It's written in the same format as the old law codes were written during the times 2200 BC and leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And um, that it's written in the format of a Near Eastern law code. And the way that worked is a ruler would give his rules, his laws, to his people. And he would then say, if you obey my laws, you will be blessed. And if you disobey my laws, you will be cursed. And so you've got blessings and curses. And so when you look at the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see that same format coming out. It's blessings and curses. And so you need to understand that. Otherwise, it can be a bit unusual for our 2019 minds. And then the other thing I wanted is just a, globe, a, a bigger picture thing. And that is, when you look at the timeline of where Deuteronomy is set, um, it's always interesting for me, when you look at the whole scope of history, how when, when people are in their most power, when mankind is in their most powerful place, they think God intervenes and provides for His people. Okay, so right at the beginning, Genesis. Man is in the Garden of Eden. Everything's going well. And then things, grow horribly, horrib things go horribly wrong. What does God do? God provides. As part of the curse on mankind for thinking that he could be God or think like God, God says, I will provide my healer. He will crush your head. And if you go and look at the whole prophecy around that, that is a prophecy of Jesus Christ who would come later. Later in the history of, um, of humankind, Tower of Babel. What happens when people think, now we've reached it. Let's build this tower because we are powerful. We want to reach heavens. Maybe be God. What does God do? He intervenes. Breaks it down. Brings that mix-up of languages around. And then provides a story from out of that. Then uh, during the time of Joseph, if you look at your little timeline there, we see there this Egypt, Egypt's second most powerful period in their history. And so what happens there? In the middle of that most powerful time, massive famine. But God has provided. Who does he put there? One of his own, Joseph. Amazing, isn't it? And then we go through to where Deuteronomy was just written after, was the time of the Exodus. Um, the most powerful period in Egypt's history. And what does God do? When Egypt is at its most powerful, 
he takes his people out of there. He brings judgment on that nation, but he brings his people out and provides. Amazing. And then New Testament time, the time of the Romans, arguably one of the most powerful nations in earth's history. They are reigning, and what does God do in the middle of that? They think they're at the peak of their power. He provides a Messiah right in the midst of that, of where they think they are most powerful. And in their strength, they thought, through the weakness in their eyes, he provides his way. Jesus Christ was crucified, but making a way for God's people. Isn't that amazing? I love it. It's not over, you know. We're living in 2019. Mankind again, we build all kinds of towers of Babel. All kinds. We think we, are, we can solve any of the problems of mankind. Scientists will do it for us. What does God do in the middle of that? He provides His people, His church, all those who are believers to stand up and to speak the gospel in the midst of man thinking they can do things their way. And it's not over yet. At the end of time, when Jesus Christ comes, just before He comes, there's going to be that massive uprising of the nations against God's people. And what will happen in the middle of that? The Son of Man will return and provide for His people. Isn't that amazing? Through the whole of history. Anyway, we've got to get to Deuteronomy. So that's where Deuteronomy is in the big scheme of things. As we come to God's Word, let's just bow our heads. Let's pray and ask Him to cast His light in our souls so that we can understand. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank You that as part of our worship of You here this morning, we can come to the point in our service where we open your word and where we put ourselves under your word and we allow your word to speak to us because your words are the very breath of life to us. And so, Lord, I pray for every single person sitting here. May we open ourselves up to what you are saying to us through your word. And you use this very same word to speak to each of us in a very different way. And yet as a body together here, you bless us too from your word. And so use this time now, we pray, for your glory and for the uplifting and the upbuilding of your saints here. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the one who has made this possible through the work of your spirit in us now. Amen. Let's read together Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 19. We will come to this a little bit later, so if it doesn't make sense to you right now. Verse 15 of chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Now, if you've got a Bible that shows when God is being spoken of, you'll have a capital P there for that prophet. Okay? And that's referring to the one who would come, the great prophet, the Messiah. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him, with a capital H, if you've got a Bible that shows that. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, 
on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Now, to put you in perspective, God was giving the law to his people. And when Moses went up onto the mountain, there was this thunder and lightning. And the people were so afraid, they shouted out to Moses, Don't let the Lord speak to us. You speak to us. So that's what it's speaking about here. Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, that's Moses, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a, again a capital P, a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. And then he goes on and he describes what a false prophet will look like as well in the rest of that passage. Now turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So all humankind have been exposed to the law of God. No one is without excuse. Verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his, that's God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from or separate from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles only? Oh, oh, sorry, Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Okay, do you get that? He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. I'll come back to those passages. Now, just to recap, if you weren't here last week, Moses, Moses gave us this book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means... Deuteronomos, or the second law, he gave us a second law, it doesn't mean that we've got God's law and now we've got an added law, no, he was explaining God's Ten Commandments. And if you 
need to be reminded a little bit about the Ten Commandments. Here they are in short. Firstly, there shall be no other gods before my face, says God. Secondly, don't worship God falsely. Third commandment, don't dishonor God's name in speech or behavior. Fourthly, remember to rest. Fifth commandment, honor your parents. Sixth commandment, don't kill in deed or in thought. Seventh, don't be unfaithful. Eighth, don't steal. Ninth commandment, don't lie. And the tenth commandment, don't covet. Now that's a summary. But that's what God gave to his people. And then Moses came in and God gives him this message on his heart to, to make an application of that law in practice. And that's the book of Deuteronomy. So you need to know where it fits in. So then, we come this morning to how do we read this book? When we open our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, we can't just start reading it. We need to know a bit about it. Otherwise, you're going to read it in the wrong context. And so there's the first point. We need to read the book of Deuteronomy in its original context first. Who was it written to? And why was it written in that way? Otherwise, you're going to misunderstand and many times misquote from this book. And so rather than beginning with the New Testament and what that has to say on Deuteronomy, we've actually got to read it as it was written to, to people. To a specific ethnic Jewish group of people addressing issues of faith and life in their, in their day. We've got to see it that way. These are a group of people who lived a thousand years before Jesus Christ. Three thousand years before we are living now. They were in existence. And this was this book was written to them. And so life was very different for them there. It's very different to 2019. And I'll show you now. And so we'll, we're going to get these idiomatic expressions that are used in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And we've got to understand it in their cultural world. Otherwise, we will misunderstand. For example, total destruction of cities. So in the Old Testament, God told his people, go and totally destroy cities. That's the way things worked in those times 3,000 years ago. One nation would go and they'd invade another nation, take over their cities. That's the way they showed dominance. That's the way territory was claimed. Now, if you tried to do that today, you'd, hand up, you'd land up in the Hague in front of the war crimes tribunal. So we can't work that way anymore. And so we can't read this book in that way. Secondly, um, the Bible tells them in Deuteronomy, go and destroy the places of false worship and idol worship. So, so that, does that mean in 2019 I can go across the road here to where they do a different type of religion and I can go and burn their place down and justify it from God's word? No, we can't do that anymore. You'd land up in court. In the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, they were told to kill all false prophets. Well, we, can we do that today? Well, if you did that, you'd land up in court for murder. Because it's not the way we apply God's word anymore. They had cities of refuge. So you went out chopping wood. And Deuteronomy 19 verse 5 gives this example. You went out chopping with wood, wood with your mate in the forest. You were busy chopping wood. The axe head slips off, hits your neighbor on the head, and you kill him. So what do you do? You run to a city of refuge before his bros get to you. We don't have cities of refuge anymore. There's nowhere to run to now. You go to court and sort it out there. You get under manslaughter charge. And then, very interesting one, and I'll actually read it to you. 
I'm just grateful this one's not in force anymore. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5 to 10. This is a very interesting situation. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My brother's husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has his sandal pulled off. Now imagine how weird that would be. Go to our law courts, pull off the guy's sandal and then spit in his face. Okay, so obviously we can't apply these things that we read here in Deuteronomy straight as they are, right? So I hope you understand that. We've got to read, read things in their original context. But from there, we've got to then identify eternal truths. So we read these weird things. We have to get the truth from there. What is the underlying truth? I'll give you some examples. In Deuteronomy, some eternal truths are stated straight out. We got one of those last week where it says, choose life and live. That's fairly easy, straightforward. So that's easy to apply. But then we get another one in Jewish dress, in the, in the Israelite cultural context. For example, Deuteronomy 21. So you have a son who doesn't want to listen to you. He doesn't want to listen to his parents. So what does Deuteronomy 21 say? It says, when your son doesn't want to listen to you, you drag him before the elders. They will find him guilty. And then the men of the village will come and they'll stone him to death. All right? Maybe we'd solve a few problems that way in today's society, but it's not the way we do things. But what is the truth underneath that weird thing? It's this. It's the fifth commandment. Honor your parents. Honor your father and your mother. That might go well with you in the land, right? That's the underlying truth we've got to pull out. And also the other underlying truth under that is don't tolerate evil amongst you. Deal with evil. Right, you see how that works? And there's a second uh, one I'll give you an example of um, from Deuteronomy 25. It says there that, men, that when a man is found guilty of something, he'll be brought before the judge. The judge will hear the case. And if he is guilty, then the man will be laid down in front of the judge and whipped. All right? Up to 40 strokes only. Nothing more than 40 because other, other than that, you're going to take away his dignity. Interesting. So what? So what is the underlying truth there? The truth there is, give fair punishment where fair punishment is due, but don't take away a person's dignity. There's the eternal truth under there. All right? So that's the other way we've got to read Deuteronomy is, we see the original context, and then from there we take out the eternal truths that underlie those things. 
And then there's a third aspect we've got to look at if we're going to look at the book of Deuteronomy properly. Remember, I'm setting the scene for everything else we're going to do now in the rest of the book. There's a third aspect if we're going to have a correct hermeneutic is the theological term. It's how do we analyze the book of Deuteronomy. And the third thing is this. What is the later context of Revelation on this book? And by Revelation, I don't mean the book of Revelation. I mean, what else does Scripture say later about the principles that are shown to us in the book of Deuteronomy? What light does Scripture throw on this book? And you get that through various commentators. The first commentator is Jesus Christ himself. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 is an example of this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Deuteronomy. Okay? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, says Jesus. So Jesus says, I've come to fulfill them. I've come to keep them perfectly. So what does that mean for us in Deuteronomy? We're going to come back to it. And then in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, Jesus then preaches his famous Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of the New Testament Deuteronomy, because he takes the law and he applies it in a New Testament setting. That's what the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about. The Apostle Paul carries on too, and in Romans, Hebrews, and 1 Corinthians, he does very much the same. He says, how do we apply the law of God now in a modern New Testament setting? So we've got to understand that. There's a second aspect here to later revelation, and that is, how does the coming of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the becoming man of God, how does the incarnation of Christ, how does his death on the cross, how does his resurrection from the dead, how does that bring a fuller meaning to the events and what is taught in Deuteronomy? Because it does. You see, I'll give you an example again. The New Testament reveals to us that Yahweh and an Old Testamental Jew never said that name out loud, that Yahweh the one in your Bibles who spelt L-O-R-D, capital letters. The New Testament reveals that Yahweh, the one who spoke directly at Sinai and indirectly through Moses, is none other than who? The second person of the Trinity. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the spoken Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So do you see we get a bit of extra meaning and extra light thrown onto what happened in the Old Testament. So what does that mean? And this blew my mind too when you first realized this. Is when, when the Jews received the law of God at Mount Sinai, who was present there? Yahweh was present there. God in the Trinity was there. And so Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was there when the law was being given to his, per to his people. And so he's the, he's the perfect one who can later in the New Testament give comment on it. And so we must pay attention to that. You keeping up with me there? All right. So in light of that, it's very sloppy theology that you sometimes hear today to have people say that Moses was a type of Christ. 
Moses wasn't a type of Christ. Moses was the prophet of Christ. See, if people don't understand the theology properly, they're going to say things like that. Sloppy theology. Or, you, you often hear this one, that Jesus was a second Moses. Who's the greater? How can the greater be the lesser? It's sloppy theology. And so be careful of that. We need to understand how Scripture puts together. And if you don't understand where Deuteronomy fits in, you're not going to get that properly. All right? So that's on the hermeneutics. I'm done with it. You all with it? You've taken your notes? You'll revise them? Good. Now, why should we study Deuteronomy? Not just because we decided to do it. But I want to give you six reasons. I started on this last week. Firstly, and I did this last week, Scripture commands it. Scripture says we are to study all of Scripture. It's part of God's whole revealed word to us. We can't, as human beings, pick and choose what's good for us and what's bad for us. We read all of Scripture. You know, this last week I again heard someone, and it really gets me going, and the Lord has to work on me and my patience. I heard again someone saying, oh no, I, I, I don't agree with the writings of the Apostle Paul, really. It just doesn't. And so I'm going to just push it out the way. Who are we to decide? We are mortals. And unless you know everything, then you could possibly decide what's good or not for you. Otherwise, you'd better... Stick with what the one who is all-knowing knows. So Scripture commands us to read all of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we need Deuteronomy to be equipped. Secondly, as part of that proof, Romans 15, 4 says, Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul, by the way. For whatever was written in former days, including Deuteronomy, was written for our instruction. Why? So that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Isn't that the whole theme of Deuteronomy? So, Scripture commands us to study Deuteronomy. Secondly, it's a book of worship. Deuteronomy is a book of worship. How do we worship God? You see, Deuteronomy recognized the, the need for God to act in the hearts of His people Israel so that they would be faithful to Him in their obedience and to His covenant, so that they would worship Him aright. Deuteronomy recognized that they couldn't do this, that they would fail. And actually, Deuteronomy is a record of their failure. It's like getting that bad report card. Remember those? Maybe not. Deuteronomy records the failure of Israel to keep God's covenant as they should. But it exposes their need for God as well at the same time. That's the whole idea. And like Israel, we too are people who fail in our obedience to God. And therefore, through Deuteronomy, we can see those principles that we can find, therefore, humble and right living before Him. In other words, through the book of Deuteronomy, we can find out how do I worship God properly. So it's a book of worship. Thirdly, it's a survival manual. Are you ready for this? Camo gear on. Here we go. The book of Deuteronomy is a survival manual. Yes, Calvin, if I survive all your preaching through Deuteronomy, it'll be a survival manual to me. 
No, it's not there. You see, Deuteronomy taught Israel how to be people of God in a hostile environment. They were going to go into the land of Canaan. God gives them his principles for living in that land as they go and conquer the peoples around them to get that land for themselves. They had to know how to do this properly. And so it's a survival manual to them. And so he gives them the principles of how they are to live before God in that hostile environment. Isn't that the situation we're in as well? We're in a hostile environment, hostile to the gospel, hostile to the world, to, to, to God. And so we need to know how to survive. You see, what did Jesus do when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. And so we need to go and study what verses did Jesus choose from this book of the law to help ward off Satan. What did he go and choose? We're not going to go into all that now. That's a whole separate sermon. One of them he chose was, man cannot live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So why did he choose that verse? It's a survival manual. We need to go and look at those verses. And then there's the obvious life and death choice ones for our survival manual that Deuteronomy gives us. It says, therefore, choose life so that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land he is giving. It's a survival manual. You want to know how to live in this hostile world? You need to understand this book too. Fourthly, it's an evangelism manual. What was the reason for Israel's existence? Anyone want to have a go? What was the reason for Israel's existence? Thank you. I couldn't hear. To teach us, yes, okay. All right. In those days, what was the reason for Israel's existence? It was to show the nations how to be obedient to God because of their love for Him. They had to be a witness to the nations. So that the nations would look and see, wow, what a God. Where do I get that from? Did I suck it out my thumb? No. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 to 8. Let's turn to that. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 to 8. This is what it says. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding, and it doesn't end there. In the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Do you see? There it is. There's the reason for Israel's existence. They had to be a light to the nations. And so it's a book of evangelism. And the challenge for you and I today is also to bring the good news to the watching world through the, through the lives we live. 
You see, when people look at our lives as the advert of what God says in His Word, they should see in our lives, before they hear a word out of our mouths, that the gospel is true. Without us opening our mouths, by the way they look at our lives, they should see there is a God. They love God. And yes, they sin, but God forgives them. And then when we come to them because they want to know reason for the faith that is within us, then we open our mouths and we give them the gospel message. Our lives must show the gospel before we even speak the gospel. There's the reason for our existence in 2019. And so back to Deuteronomy. Do you see the reasons? Fifthly, and here you've really got to sit with me now. The fifth reason for why we should study the book of Deuteronomy is because it's the good news. Deuteronomy looks forward to the day when God will change Israel's heart permanently. You see, in Deuteronomy we have this foreshadowing. It's called progressive revelation. They have an inkling of something which is to come in the future. Progressive revelation. I show you a part now. Later you will see the full picture of one who is far greater than Moses, who would one day bring true obedience and forgiveness for sin as the promised Messiah to them as well. Moses says so. Deuteronomy 18, verse 8 to 9. This is what he says, what we read right in the beginning. He said, One day I will rise for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him, and whoever will not listen to my words, he shall, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. There's Old Testament spoken through Moses saying, one will come who is far greater. Old Testament revelation. And then Jesus says as well, John chapter 5, verse 39 to 46. John chapter 5, verse 39 to 46. This is what Jesus says, speaking to his favorite group of people. Who were they? The Pharisees. They were. They were sinners. He wanted to see them come to saving faith. So he speaks to them because who were the Pharisees? They were the ones who studied the Old Testament scriptures. When they speak about the scriptures, all they had at that stage was the Old Testament, the works of law, Moses' books. And they read Moses' books and they studied Moses' books, but they didn't see the wood for the trees. They missed it. Because they didn't see the coming Messiah there. That was spoken of by Moses. And so Jesus points it out to them. Listen to this. John chapter 5, verse 39 to 46. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, says Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Not this one. Moses. On whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see how Deuteronomy and the New Testament join? Jesus says so. Moses wrote of me. And so that's why we study the book of 
Deuteronomy. You see, however, in Deuteronomy, the Messiah had not yet come. That would have been easy. If Jesus had rocked up right there in their history, that would have been easy. Moses could have just said, there, follow him. But it hadn't yet come. It was only pointing to the coming Messiah. And so a guardian was appointed over the people. And what was the guardian? The Old Testament law. And that's like having trainer wheels on your bicycle. The trainer wheels were there so that you could learn to ride your bicycle properly so that one day the trainer wheels would come off and you could ride freely. The, the law in the Old Testament was the training wheels, pointing them to a time when they would be able to live lives which were pleasing to God. And so the law was given to them as their guardian. And so in their trying to keep the law, it would also show them that they can't keep the law. And that's why they needed to come and sacrifice to God constantly because of the inability to do so. But then the law would also say that one day one will come who will keep this perfectly. You are to look forward to him too, the great Messiah. And so they only had a partial understanding of what was to happen. We have the advantage. What is our advantage? We have the whole scope already. We can see what was to come and what has come. Christ has come, and so we understand this more fully. And so the responsibility is more full on us too today. Does that mean we don't have to keep the Old Testament law, as some people will say today? Ten commandments out the window? Come on, who says yes? Good. Baptists. Who says no? But how? You see, it's not about rule keeping. It's not about keeping it so that God will be pleased with me. It's about trying to keep God's laws and knowing I can't keep them. But there is one who can. And so I rely on His grace to keep them perfectly for me. Do you see the difference? If you depend on your law keeping to save you before God, that's called legalism. You will fail every time and you will stand condemned before God. But he says you can't keep the law, even though I expect you to keep the law. There is one who can. Put your hope in him. He will keep the law on your behalf. He can do it so much better than us. He can keep the law perfectly. And so my hope is in Jesus Christ, not in law keeping. But does the law still apply? Yes, it does. Do you get the difference? Old Testament, New Testament. So lastly, verse 6. Oh, sorry, sixthly. Why should we study Deuteronomy? And I can already hear something. Because you said so, Calvin. Yes. No. It's because like Israel, we're also between rescue and home. Dave reminded me of this. We went to the conference to get trained on how to go about speaking this book. And it was called Between Rescue and Home. Man, that sums it up beautifully for me. You see, Israel was rescued by God from Egypt, weren't they? They were in a predicament there. But God took them miraculously out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness. And then take note. How did they come through out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, 
was that big or wasn't that big? That was massive. God opened up a whole sea and they went through on dry land. Miracle. What happens three days, three days later? They're in the wilderness. No water. There they go. Rebellion against Moses and God. Three days ago, God had brought them through so much water and they've forgotten. You see, God wanted their faith and their obedience. There was the first test. Failed. You and I too have been rescued by Yahweh himself. The God who is the three in one. The God who was there in the Old Testament with Israel. The one who is with us now. The one who led them by a cloud, of, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That same God is the one who's with us today. No change in God. And we too have been rescued by Him. And we too as Christ followers, we're on a journey through hostile territory to our promised land in heaven. And like Israel of old, God wants our faith and He wants our obedience. And so what happens to us? We come across a Mara too, where the water is bitter. Life comes against us. You get that cancer report coming in. The billows of life start pouring in on us. That's our testing time, our Mara. What do we do? Do we remember the miracle of grace? Do I remember when life comes against me, the greater miracle when Jesus saved me from death to life, when he brought me through the waters of death into new life? How come my memory doesn't serve me then? You see, we're not much different to the people of Israel. And so what Deuteronomy is saying is saying is keep trusting God. He will bring you home. He is the faithful one. He will not let you down. Remember the big miracles when the big troubles come against you. Amen. He will bring you home. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Remember where you're heading. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I've got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Look away beyond the blue. Don't get so caught up in this world. Jesus says, He has promised you, Jude 24, He is able to keep you and I from stumbling. He is able to present us blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. He has promised to bring us home. He will be faithful. He will be faithful to the end. Will we be faithful to Him till then? Help us in our unbelief is our prayer. We are weak, but you are strong. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few weeks as we 
go about studying this book of Deuteronomy. May we remember how we are to read this book. So that through it, we will see the hand of God at work. Not just for your people Israel so many 3,000 years ago. But so that we would see the hand of God in our lives today. Because we need you, Lord. Like them, we also fail. Like them, we also forget the great miracles in our lives. Like them, we see the waves of trouble that come our way. And we take our eyes off Almighty God. Lord, use this book in each of our lives to give us a fresh glimpse of how great you are, the triune God, the one who is almighty and all-knowing. And Lord, when things come our way, may we be a light to the nations around us on how we will trust God no matter what, because we know who you are not what we are. Lord, as we live obedient lives before you, may you draw others, those around us who still do not know you, into the kingdom as you do your work through us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust it. Thank you that we can stake our lives on your word. Because we know who it comes from. It comes from you, almighty God. We praise your name and give you glory. Help us now in our weakness and our unbelief, we pray. To cling to Jesus Christ alone as our hope for salvation. Not in how good we can be. Help us, Lord. Amen.